Hazelton's got it. End to end, he'll come. Leaves it for Rodgers for three for the win! Western Kentucky doesn't break! Andrew Dowdy and Chase Kitty on high motor by BetMGM. We're talking about 30, 35 minutes after the selection show wrapped up on Sunday night. We have the 68-team field. I wasn't that surprised by the 68 teams that made it. Uh, do my bracketology over the last couple of months. I landed on Louisville over Wichita State. I'm not going to bitch about that one, though. I totally see their reasoning for having Wichita State in the field over a Louisville team that hadn't won that many big games, had a very poor road record. I'm not going to bitch about that, and we're not going to bitch about you know teams are seeding that much today. I'm sure some of it will come up. I'm sure Oklahoma State airing of grievances will come up. A lot of seeding issues that will come up organically in these conversations and we're literally looking here as lines are coming through, and we're not going to talk that much about betting on this episode. We will talk 100% betting on Thursday on High Motor by BetMGM as the lines come through on BetMGM.com. Mm. 100% betting episode Thursday, 6 a.m. Eastern, first four games start on Friday, and then the first round starting Saturday and Sunday, so we'll have plenty of time uh, when that episode drops Thursday, 6 a.m. Eastern time good what 36 hours or so to get your bets in how many we were at what like eight games on on bet mgm with lines before we started here are you still looking at what are we at right now yeah we're up to 10 i'm uh refreshing it every couple of minutes i i really like early on i'm sure there are going to be others that i like early on i really like this loyola georgia tech number uh georgia tech coming out of the acc tournament you're going to have some uh, i don't want to say bandwagon people but looking around going, oh, Georgia Tech, hot team. And we've talked a little bit over the last week about like, hey, conference tournament winners do not necessarily correlate with success of the NCAA tournament. The hot team thing is overloaded. Loyola is a way better and more consistent team, in my opinion. They are only a two-and-a-half-point favorite against Georgia Tech. Uh, so I, I that's the one I like uh, the most here early on looking at some of these numbers. And I want to bring up Oklahoma State right away um is that that one's not posted yet is it because i know illinois is on there you said oklahoma state hasn't been posted yet not yet not yet against liberty so illinois has uh drexel oklahoma state against liberty and this is something that we talked about either last episode or two episodes ago how i think it was going into the big 12 tournament everybody was all over oklahoma state based on those big wins that that hot streak they had over the last what two or three weeks Kate cunningham has kind of cemented himself as the number one pick in the NBA drafts, so you have a lot of casual fans now watching Oklahoma State in the Big 12 tournament, watching what they can do and watching what, what they're capable of. And I had asked you, I think, last week, if you saw maybe an opportunity to fade Oklahoma State. And I think you said, let's see what happens in the Big 12 tournament, how much the public is on Oklahoma State. Kind of the same thing for Illinois. It seems like everybody has been all over Oklahoma State and all over Illinois. You mentioned Georgia Tech. We'll probably talk about Georgetown here a little bit. Maybe bring up Winthrop, too, in that Villanova 5-12 game. But in terms of, let's stick right now with Oklahoma State and Illinois, two teams that everybody has been paying attention to closely. I would assume that everybody is all over those teams as real Final Four contenders. Are you seeing an opportunity to fade them? I know we don't have that Oklahoma State Liberty line yet, but just generally as this tournament kicks off, do you think Oklahoma State's 
uh, you know, fading opportunity faded, I guess, a little bit for the lack of a better term with that loss to Texas? Or do you still see both Illinois and Oklahoma State as excellent opportunities to fade in this tournament because everybody has been so much over them this year? Well, certainly Oklahoma State. Uh, I, I'm not. I, I wanted. I would want to see what the numbers would be for Illinois because I think they've been a more just consistently really strong team. So they're going to be handicapped heavily because they're really good and they have been all year. The Oklahoma State thing is more what I like to go against because it's a team that got hot late. Uh, you mentioned Cade Cunningham. I, I think it's worth mentioning that they're playing so much better because they're they're getting really quality contributions all the way up and down the bench. I, I think they have a lot of players that, that are really playing well right now. It's not just about Cunningham. So, yeah, I, I mean, to, to get back to your question, what did we get out of the Big 12 tournament? And, and is, is that still the case? Are there still betting opportunities to go against the Cowboys here? Absolutely. They, they go on a nice run here. That leads to the Big Twelve Championship game. Just they posted. Don't... It's at nine and a half. It just posted. Oklahoma State only not only nine and a half over Liberty. That seems outrageously low. Well, that's a big number in a tournament game, though. I mean, yeah, you're. It, it seems low probably because it's next to big numbers like Baylor Hartford is twenty five and a half right now. Ohio State Oral Roberts is seventeen. That seems like a high number. Seventeen. Holy, holy cow. Uh, Oral Roberts is pretty good. Uh, so I mean. It's it's high in the sense that this is a tournament game. I mean, you don't a lot of these tournament games. You, you might not watch the the you know, let's say they're number ten. They're the tenth best team in the country, and they're going to play the fifty fifth best team in the country. Well, if you had that in November, you might say, okay, yeah, like one game. Are they going to win by ten? Sure, that's that's no big deal. But nine and a half in a tournament game, you got to be careful laying a number that big. I would say the, the the actual handicappers, the people that are that are setting this line at the book, they have to know that there is big public support for Oklahoma State right now. This is one of the most public teams in college basketball going into the tournament. As you've said, everybody's watching them. So I would say that nine and a half is already a little bit juiced, if I had to guess. And it's only gonna go up. There's only it's only gonna be public money going in on Oklahoma State. So I would be surprised if that doesn't hit 10 before noon on Monday and, and probably continues to creep up as, as people just slam Oklahoma State. Another thing you've got going uh, on, on the whole like betting against them and finding uh, ways to create value betting against them uh, is the fact that some people think they have been underseeded now. So, some people think they've been slighted. So, you know, there's this whole trope of, well, they're going to be angry. They're going to be playing mad. Uh, so I think there are, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities. Obviously, I'm not saying they're going to lose that game. We're talking about betting against the spread. Yeah, and I don't want to get too much into betting because I think we have other things to talk about. I, I was more just shocked because of how much people have been on Oklahoma State lately. Like you've talked about, like I've talked about. I thought that, I don't know if I had a number in my head coming into before I saw this line. I guess kind of retroactively going back, I would have thought it would have been closer to 11 or 11 and a half. So I'm a little bit surprised at the nine and a half. Uh, like you said, Loyola is posted two, two and a half. Illinois is a 22 point favorite. Peru, eight point favorite over North Texas. You know, let's actually get into Winthrop and Villanova because we've been pushing Winthrop now for the better mm. part of three months, maybe. Yeah, we have. The official podcast of Winthrop Basketball. They are only a six and a half point underdog. In that 12-5 game, 
I had, you know, tweeted something about the Georgetown Colorado game and, you know, kind of ironically, those are two 12-5 matchups that we I don't know if we like we predicted them in the last couple of weeks, but we kind of teased saying that hey, nobody even knows that Colorado basketball existed until they made the big until they made the Pac-12 championship game and people really only paid attention because there were bubble teams watching that game because if Oregon State won, they would have stole a bid, which they ended up doing. So now you have a Colorado team that nobody even knew existed three days ago going against a Georgetown team that everybody knows about. Even before they made this run, everybody knew about Georgetown basketball. Now Georgetown goes and, and blows out a five-seed Creighton. Two days later, or I guess one day later now, they're a 12-seed playing against a team that nobody watches Colorado basketball. Nobody has heard of McKinley Wright. Nobody watches the Buffs. Nobody watches Pac-12 basketball. So of a 12-5 upset, I think the 12-5 upset thing is a little bit overblown. Like, I get the numbers. I checked earlier today, and I think it was 12 seeds are 53-107 and 107 against 5 seeds all, all time. I think it gets talked about a lot because it's roughly the same success as an 11 over a 6. I think uh, 11 seeds are like 56 and, and 104, something like that. Yeah, they have but the it's numbers also, on, the, on the CBS show. The 11-6 the, the has happened two more times than the 12-5. So, yeah, you're right. right. So, it's basically the same you know type of upset, but then it's also far better than the 13-4. So, I think you're seeing all that 12-5 emphasis because that gap between a 13-4 and because it's almost the exact same as 11-5. And I... I kind of get sick of it because I asked you last week, do you pick like a 12-5 upset because it happens, you know, an average of 1.2 or whatever it is per time or times per year, or is it more about the matchups for you? And I get sick of just people that are saying, well, you know, 12s always beat the fives. Yeah, they do, but there's really no reason to pick like three 12 over fives just because it happens pretty often. And I think in the case of this, especially with Winthrop and Villanova, Georgetown against Colorado, People are going to go nuts for these games. I don't yeah. think the Georgetown line is up yet, is it? Would you uh, be surprised if seen it. Would you be surprised if Georgetown was a slight favorite in this game? Yes, I would be surprised. Be- you, you, because of the marketplace, right? It's the thing we talk about all the time. You can't ha- hang a twelve as a favorite. It's just you're going to be upside down on your tickets. What's this number going to be though? Colorado three and a half, four. Um, it's not going to be six and a half. It's not going to be six and a half Winthrop and Villanova. It's not going to be that high. I would say between five and a half and eight, five and a half and seven and a half. Do you agree with me though that the public is just going to be all over these two twelve five upsets because everybody knows that Villanova is not playing well. Con Gillespie is out. They're no longer this national championship yeah. team, even though people don't know about Winthrop that much. Yeah, I do think that Winthrop has gotten a little bit more attention the last week and a half. So I think people are going to be all over these two games. And, well, and you know, the other thing is watching the selection show with, with Seth Davis and those guys, they highlighted both of those games and they made it clear, like right out of the gate, their gut instinct was, yeah, I like Winthrop. Yeah, I like, uh, yeah, yeah, I like Georgetown. So you know that like the casual fan who is, you know, their family does a bracket contest and that sort of thing. And, and like, they're kind of tuned in, but you know, they're, they're not, you know, plugged into like down ballot Big East basketball in December, yeah, they're they're gonna hear those opinions of oh Georgetown, okay, let me let me make a mental note, and then that's the twelve five that I'm gonna pull the trigger on. Can you recall if that might be a hard question for you to answer, but can you recall if that 
has affected lines in the past. Like when Seth Davis just says, doesn't even give you a breakdown. He just says, I really like Moorhead State this year. I really like Eastern Washington, whatever it is. Have you noticed a trend where lines do move a little bit? And even though it's it's kind of hard because the lines haven't really been posted when Seth Davis says that, but have you ever seen a case where that does move it based on something like that they would say on the selection show or maybe going into the Sweet 16 is a better example when they're actually making their predictions? Not the selection show, no. Uh, I, I think I think there is a you can make a case that there are certain voices in the media landscape that can move lines. I think there are certain podcasts even where if somebody comes out and says, "Yeah, I really like X team against the spread," and that's a trusted gambling voice, that could move a line a point or two. But I, I doubt that the selection show ever has. Your West Virginia Mountaineers twelve point favorite over Moorhead State. Initial mm. thoughts on that. Um, 12 is a lot of points and, and, you know, I haven't really gotten the chance to watch Moorhead a bunch. I watched them in the OVC tournament championship game, uh, but when they beat Belmont, but other than that, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'd probably lean Moorhead plus the points. I think West Virginia is, is probably in position to win that game, but 12 is a lot in the tournament, man. That's a lot of points. Yeah, West Virginia does end up getting a three seed. I had them projected as a three seed for most of the last couple of weeks. I think I actually... If I recall correctly, bumped them to a four uh, because Oklahoma State then had moved up to a three. But they do get the three seed in the Midwest. They're in the same region as Oklahoma State. Moorhead State in the first round. I actually like the bottom half of that bracket for your Mountaineers quite a bit. I San do Diego, too. Yeah. San Diego State and Syracuse in that other game. And then you get a, a Clemson team that draw. is just, just not playing well. A Rutgers team that hasn't beat anybody in a long time. I get that Houston played well on uh, Saturday, or excuse me, Sunday afternoon. They haven't lost in a couple of weeks, but I just I don't think Memphis is that good. And seeing them struggle against Memphis that much twice in the last what ten days, I I mean we're not going to talk that much about Houston, but Houston should not have been that. I, I, That's I'm a not really su- high seed for a team. I'm that not I don't surprised they were the two seed. I'm more surprised that they're a two seed and Oklahoma State is a four. That's what. Yeah. That's what I just don't get. I don't really want to spend that much of the podcast screaming about consistency and what the the committee did, but. I do think that we deserve more answers for this because of Mitch Barnhart, the Kentucky AD and the committee chair went on afterwards. I mean, you and I have talked ad nauseum the last two years about how hysterical of a PR move the, the playoff committee chair does when he goes on after each rankings and gives us literally nothing in 15 minutes. But I think Mitch Barnhart was on for like 90 seconds and was, he was asked like two questions. One of which was, why are Michigan State and UCLA here? He didn't. I mean, he made the college football playoff committee chair look like they're actually giving us answers <laughs> by how little. I mean, he gave us nothing. It That's was an I, art form of <laughs> saying a lot of words and not saying anything. It should have been like living poetry. There's just there's nothing there, and it, it kind of bothers me. I don't know if it's like the the student athlete amateur athletics part of me where it's saying these are student athletes unpaid players they deserve to know what goes into these brackets like what are you weighing how are you weighing an Oklahoma State team that I think finished I can't remember what it was 27 or 28 in the net ranks but had 10 Q1 wins and you're essentially saying we don't care about those Q1 wins because Houston had two I think Houston was two and one or two and two in Q1 games and you have an Oklahoma State team that had five times more wins. And I get that Houston is a lot higher in metrics. And I'm fine with caring about the metrics. Like I, Ken Palm and Sagarin and the BPI historically 
have shown that they are accurate metrics and they can tell you which teams are better in college basketball, which teams are going to win. I know that you use Kempom quite a bit for, for betting, but I just want the committee to give us more transparency. Just tell us what the net is to begin with, because we still don't even know what the net is. We're three years into the net and we still have no idea how it's compiled. We don't know the algorithm behind it. I've talked to, I've talked to David Warlock, the uh, PR guy for basketball for the NCAA and Without putting words in his mouth, it seems like he wants them to re- to release it, but they're not going to because, as we've said so many times about the playoff committee, it doesn't do them any good to release it. They're still going to get their billions of dollars from Turner Sports. That's all they need to operate as the NCAA. Without the NCAA tournament, without the TV rights, the NCAA just doesn't exist in its current form. So there's no benefit to them for releasing it, but I still feel like when you have a situation of student-athletes they deserve to know what goes into the net rankings and why Colgate is 8 and Loyola is, I think, 9 or 10. And then you have an Oklahoma State team who has beat just everybody recently. Even a Michigan State team that has, what, two wins over one seeds. They have five Q1 wins. They have issues elsewhere. I get that. But why is a Michigan State team that has all of these Q1 wins in a metric that you say is the top metric for the committee, but then they're ranked in the 70s, and yet they still get into the field. We need to know more about how the committee is actually making this field because right now I'm just having a really hard time with the consistency. Personally, I don't care that much if you just want to come out and say we're going to weigh the net and the Kempom and Sagarin and BPI and KPI and all these different metrics. That's fine. If you really want to build the, the, the 68 team field that way, I don't have that much of a problem with that. I would like them to weigh kind of the high-end win. That's why I like the quadrant records quite a bit. But what they did today is they came out and essentially said, we don't give a shit about your quadrant records because Oklahoma State has 10 Q1 wins. I think they had one loss outside of Q1. Maybe they, they, they had TCU. one in Q3. Yeah. yeah, I think they had one in Q3, but I'm not even sure they had they, one in they Q2. Had two in Q3, yeah. But they didn't have any in Q2. Do you have a pull up right now? Yeah, I do. So uh, I, I actually have, you've been doing a really good job. Plug for you with these uh, MGM blog updates where you break down all the all this quadrant stuff and net and rankings and everything. So I'm actually referring to something you wrote earlier today. Uh Oklahoma State 10 and 6 in 16 Q1 games. 2 and 0 Q2, 3 and 2 Q3, 5 and 0 Q4. And to make your point just sort of like to really underscore what you're saying. When Oklahoma State's 10 and 6 in Q1 games and Houston is 2 and 1 and Houston's the 2 seed and Oklahoma State's the 4 seed. That is a little weird. I don't care that, I mean, we, this again, going back to college football, we have said it sucks that the G5 can't get into the playoff and that they don't have this opportunity, but tough shit. You need to get into a P5 conference if you want to play these games. It sucks that Houston didn't have 16 opportunities. They're what, 2-1, and one, you said, in Q1 two, games? 2-1 two and one in Q1 games. And yeah. I don't, if they had played Oklahoma State's schedule, would they have gone 10-6 and six in, in Q1 games? I'm very confident in saying they wouldn't have, but ultimately we don't know and to that I say tough shit. You're in the American, an extremely weak conference this year. You end up getting the two teams in. Everyone outside of Wichita State and Houston basically sucked this year. So I don't know how you can give... To me, what they're saying is that Houston didn't get to play these games. We shouldn't hurt them because of that. We have to assume they would have done well. They won two of three games in Q1. Therefore, we can extrapolate that 66.7 win percentage over you know 15 games they would have gone 10 and 5 in q1 i don't know if they're actually doing that that would be really bad if they were 
But it that sure is not seems, how statistics work. But it sure seems like they are, and that's what's irritating to me. I don't. I have no emotional or financial investment in Oklahoma State, but it's still irritating that the committee won't even explain why they're four, and Houston is a two. Well, hey, I don't understand that at all. I'm, may, I can maybe be my Mountaineers are going to take care of it for you, and it's all going to work itself out. I can be done with Oklahoma State right now. <laughs> what else do you want to look at? You had mentioned a storyline that they were talking about on the selection show with the Ohio State. Was it Ohio State and St. Louis you had mentioned? Kind of comparing it to football and games played. I didn't totally catch all of that. What did you mean by that discussion? I think it's a better thought than a segment. But I, I just thought it was curious, and I liked it. I liked that they underscored. Um, I made the, the Ohio State football connection. But they were underscoring when they were talking about how Louisville got left out. Hey, you know, you, you just didn't play as many games as everybody else. And in a sport where you play, you know, 25 or 30 games in the regular season and you guys played, you know, closer to 18 or 20, you got to earn your spot in the postseason. And I, I thought they said that um, really eloquently. And I thought that contrasted really deeply against what we saw in college football, which was basically, hey, we already think you're really good. So your your five or six wins is enough for us and we're putting you in. Right. And we had, I mean, like, for example, Colgate played 14 games. And going back to the net, why is Colgate, they finished number nine. Well, they were number nine before the games were played today. So I can't imagine that they moved. There's no way they, they dropped behind Loyola, Chicago, Kansas, Virginia, Tennessee, Arkansas, etc. So you have a Colgate team that only played 14 games. And then, I mean, going down the list, Colorado played 30. San Diego State played 26. Texas Tech played 27. Like, so I get that we're going to... The committee has a really hard job this year. Like, I want to give them credit because I do think they got, even though I disagree with one of their selections, Louisville versus Wichita State, I think they do get credit for, in my opinion, putting the right teams in. But it goes back to transparency. And after they released the top 16 teams, what, three or four weeks ago now, they made it very clear that they're not going to guess what would have happened in different games that weren't played. And even though I think Mitch Barnhart said 80% of the scheduled games this year were played, which I was I was surprised it was that high. I thought it would have been lower. It feels like they didn't totally honor that. I'm not going to talk about Houston, Oklahoma State again, but it feels like in that situation, they didn't honor what they said in terms of what if Houston would have played more Q1 games. Because you have a team like Colgate who played 14 games, well, 15 because they won today, 15 games this year. Ahead of several teams like Arkansas went twenty two and six and they were fourteen in that. Colorado went twenty two and eight. San Diego State, USC went twenty two and seven. You have all these game all these different teams that played twenty six, twenty seven. Oklahoma State played twenty eight games. I mean they went ten and six in Q one and two and zero in Q two. They have twelve better wins than Colgate does. And yet they're they're twenty spots below Colgate. That's what I, I, I just don't understand this at all. And I'm I'm kind of frustrated by the lack of trend. I'm like, we need to move on. God, we need to move on. But yes, I see your point about number of games and, and why that matters. And I don't know if we got a good answer from the committee on how they balanced all that out. All right, we got a lot of betting talk coming on Thursday for the first four and first round. But where are we going today to kind of hold people over until that tips off on Friday? Yeah, I mean, not not a ton, uh, unless you're sort of hyper-focused on NBA right now, coming out of the All-Star break. Not a ton to bet on right now. I am looking... Monday night at a hockey game. And I don't bet a ton of hockey, but this this one jumped out at me. Nashville is playing 
Tampa. Uh, they just played on Saturday. The Lightning won 6-3. Nashville is really cold right now. 3-6-1 in their last 10 games. They're on a three-game losing streak. Like I said, they just uh, got doubled up on by the Lightning 6-3 on Saturday in their most recent game. Nashville is the complete opposite. 8-1-1 one, one in their last 10 games. They're looking very strong right now, as you would expect the reigning Stanley Cup champions to look. So I like Tampa in this game, even though it's kind of a weird early game. It's 4 p.m. in the afternoon, which is unusual for hockey. The problem is this game, if you want to bet Tampa, is minus 300. So that's, I mean, unless you're just the type of person that wants to slam a bunch of money and potentially get massacred on a hockey upset, and hockey upsets happen, they they are, it is a funky sport to bet. I'm more looking at the puck line here, the Tampa minus one and a half, because that's floating very close to even odds. I like Tampa to win this one sort of going away. I don't think it's going to be close. Very hot team versus very cold team. On a different day, I might argue that this is actually a good opportunity to bet Nashville because the number is so big because the teams are going in opposite directions. But I think in this particular instance, I'd rather go Tampa, puck line, win by two goals, and then get the very close to even odds. One other note, not an official play from me, and I'm still trying to figure out whether or not I want to bet this at all. But I was looking at the NBA slate for Monday, and I saw that Sacramento is playing in Charlotte. No real injury concerns that you need to worry about. I, I think uh, I think somebody's out for, for the Kings, uh, but that doesn't really matter for what I'm about to say. The Kings are two-and-a-half-point underdogs. They, it opened it at plus two, and it's now gone to plus two-and-a-half. That seemed like a very unusual line, a very smelly. I would think it would be a little bit bigger than that. The Kings, several games under 500 at this point. Charlotte is sort of like three games north of 500. I would expect Charlotte to be more like a minus five in this spot. So the fact that it's two, very smelly to me. I'm thinking about betting the Kings in that spot, but not an official play. Uh, what is, is that Tampa puck line. We're still getting more games here in here now. I mentioned Colgate before the break. Arkansas, nine-and-a-half-point favorite over Colgate. That's a lot of Florida, points. just a one-point favorite over Virginia Tech. I can't remember if you mentioned Ohio State, 17 points over Oral Roberts. I actually, let's talk about Ohio State briefly here because we talked about Ohio State on last Monday's episode uh, with Pat Forty. I think you had brought that up, or I can't remember how it came up, but essentially at the time, and this was before the Big Ten tournament. Ohio State was playing terrible basketball. Yes, they had a tough schedule over the last you know, 10, 12 days of the season, but I think they finished the season on a four- or five-game losing streak, and then they make the run of the Big Ten championship game. Very well could have knocked off uh, arguably the hottest team in college basketball in Illinois. How are you evaluating Ohio State right now? We're probably going to jump around here for the last 15 minutes of this episode, probably hit a lot of, a lot of teams. So let's start with Ohio State. How are you evaluating Ohio State from both a betting and on-court uh, perspective right now as they get Oral Roberts in the first round, winner of Florida, Virginia Tech uh, in that second round. They're kind of in that same pod as Texas Tech, Utah State, and then Arkansas Colgate. What are your general thoughts on Ohio State as that two seed in the South region? Um, I think maybe they're just a smidge overrated. I think you're going to have a lot of teams, uh, a lot of people who are looking at them as a much stronger candidate to go deeper in the bracket because of what we saw with them pushing Illinois to overtime in the Big Ten championship game right before the selection show started. Uh, I, I don't. I think they're they're a, a nudge below Illinois in terms of teams that I believe in. Uh, I, I'm not sure that I buy them as a, a true national contender 
like I would Illinois or maybe some other teams. Uh, so that's that's kind of I, I think I still think they're good. They can obviously make a good run. Uh, I, I'm not sure I have them in that first class. I think in terms of gambling, looking at Oral Roberts, and I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, 17 is a lot of points. I think that could go, you know, that that number could get even bigger because of what I was just talking about, people being impressed with them pushing Illinois to overtime and just coming in. There, dude, there's so much square money in the NCAA tournament. There is so much square money, and that's only going to be worse this year because, I shouldn't say worse, but just there's going to be more. It's going to be a greater extent uh, because gambling is is the, the the legal gambling has just mushroomed out everywhere and it's continuing to do so so i expect there to be even more square money than usual and oral roberts is a really good team and 17 is a crazy amount of points even with 215s you don't see a lot of 20 point games um i mean they they can get that way late but it, it's if you're betting if you're laying close to 20 points in the NCAA tournament, like you are really flirting with disaster because it's a tournament game. I'm just, I'm just going to, you're going to hear me say this a lot in the Thursday episode too. Tournament games are close. They're competitive. It's win or go home. So the, the intensity level is much higher and you just don't see a lot of hardcore blowouts outside of those 116 games. So I mean, for that game, for sure. Uh, I'll wait and see what the number does because I think I can get an even more favorable number. But Oral Roberts will probably be on my first weekend card. I'm looking. I had printed out a bracket because I didn't want to waste a, a screen on the bracket as we're talking here, and I'm kind of amazed by the number of people who are totally unaware that not every game is being played in Indianapolis. Like Indianapolis is listed as the ho- as the host, and they'll have the majority of games throughout the venues. But a lot of these games are being played like at Purdue and at Indiana, and yet on this bracket that I'm looking at, I'm not even sure where it's from, Indianapolis is listed as the hosting city for every single game. I think people are going to be generally, not to talk down to our audience here, but I think a lot of people are generally unaware of how this tournament is operating. I gave that PSA last week, hey, if you haven't taken Monday off of work yet, you're going to want to do that. There is there there are games on Monday. Like this is not how the tournament usually goes. So I, gonna, I'm a little. It's going to be a little like the Olympics. Like I think there. I said earlier. I think I, God. I mean now I'm now I'm the one looking like an idiot because I'm thinking back to the intro and I think I said that the first round starts on Saturday. First round starts on Friday. I apologize. Mm. Was that the intro we actually kept? I don't know. Was that before or after you lost your internet? Yeah. What's going on here? I mean, we got to get the Richmond Power Grid straightened out. Had a hell of a day. Ohio State is. Fifth in national championship odds right now, at plus fourteen hundred. Gonzaga God, on the top two seventy five. Baylor three fifty. Michigan six hundred. Illinois tie with Michigan at six hundred. Then Ohio State fourteen hundred. Can I stop you right there, please? Is Ohio State that high? We talk about the marketplace all the time. Is Ohio State that high because they just played Illinois to overtime in the Big Ten championship game? I would say yes. You know what? I have the odds from yesterday before that happened. If you can talk oh, for the next please, 30 seconds, I can please. probably pull that up. I, I'm, I think uh, while you're pulling that up, I would like to set our next topic that we talk about for two or three minutes here as your Kansas Jayhawks against Eastern Washington. Kansas laying 11, and I think that's that's a... I'm not a huge proponent of the, what is it, a 314 or a 413. I, I don't think there's going to be a ton of those really high, really low upsets this year. That's something we're going to get to before the end of this episode. But 
I wonder there if Eastern Washington could push Kansas, especially given uh, what's going on with the personnel and who is available to play in this tournament. Eastern Washington plus 11 is a very interesting upset bid. I, I'm, I don't know if the Eastern Washington pulls it off outright, but 11 is a lot of points. All right, your 30 seconds is up. So circling back to Ohio State hasn't moved since before that game. Interesting. I had okay. grabbed a screenshot of this and tweeted the national championship odds last night, 825 Central. And it looks like it's in the same order. Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, uh, Illinois is now tied with uh, Michigan. But it was Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Illinois. Then Ohio State was at 1,400. Iowa 1,500. Oklahoma State 1,600. So that hasn't changed at all. But you still seem to think that Ohio State's a little bit too high. I mean, do you care that much about national championship odds? And are you looking down a little bit? I think I had tweeted this and I mentioned it to you before the show started. Arkansas at 4,000 seems like pretty incredible value to me to get a team that was the second best team in the SEC the entire season. You asked me, can I actually see Arkansas win the national championship? I don't know if I can, but for a $5 bet at plus 4,000, that's really the only one here that interests me that much. Like Gonzaga, two seventy-five. I don't know. In the West Coast Conference West Coast Tournament, I was not that impressed with Gonzaga. I know they've had the week off, just two games. I'm not going to put too much conclusions into that, but I don't see that much value across this unless you want to go down a little bit to even like an Alabama at sixteen hundred or an Arkansas at four thousand. Do you have that much interest in these odds this year? Yeah, not really. It's kind of a funky field in terms of handicapping uh, the the actual championship odds because you have four teams that are are you know priced significantly higher than everybody else, and then there's a big drop off to just a, a pot of everybody that looks the same. Um, I I was Iowa plus fourteen hundred, Florida State sixteen hundred, Oklahoma State sixteen hundred, Ohio State eighteen hundred. Texas, 1,800. Alabama, 2,000. Creighton, 2,000. Houston, 2,000. West Virginia, 2,000. So, I mean, it's just a whole lot of that. Uh, it is interesting that going by seeds, if you're if you're going down the, the championship odds here, you've got a 1, a 1, a 1, a 1, a 2. What was Florida State? A, what? A 4, a, a 2, a 4, a 4, a 2. I think a 3, then back to a 2. I just... And it's never a clean like one 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 two 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 two, but it is interesting that you see two fours in the top seven in terms of uh, most likely odds to win. That is very interesting. Going back to your question about Kansas, given where they were, I mean, I wrote a lot and tweeted about how this was the worst Kansas team in in twenty something years, and I was not expecting this team to get a top four seed. It's now they got a three seed, so they have a top four seed for the twentieth straight tournament. All things considered, I mean, there are concerns. Like I, it, I just got an alert when we were talking here that David McCormick is expected to play uh, in the tournament, and they have, I think they have the second day. They don't play until the nineteenth, I believe. No, it doesn't say nineteenth, twenty. I'll, I'll have to pull it up. So it depends on if they have an extra day or not. But anyways, given where they were, I mean, even six weeks ago, and I have concerns that if McCormick isn't a hundred percent or is a little bit rusty in a region with that many good big men. There, yeah, there are a lot of issues. I'm not probably not going to pick Kansas to come out of the West, but given where they were five weeks ago, I'm pretty happy with how this shook out here because I think that Eastern Washington is, I'm not that worried about the matchup. You mentioned the number was, what, 11? Yeah, that seems like a big number. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have a feel for that yet. I'm just not, 
I feel good. I'm still kind of depressed on how last year ended because that was clearly the best team in college basketball. That felt like the team that was going to finally win the national championship after you know 12 years of, of really shitting the bed in the second uh, round Sweet 16 as a one seed. So given where they were five weeks ago, to answer your question kind of, I'm pretty happy with where KU is. I like to be hesitant in saying which regions are the best, which teams have the easiest path. We kind of talked about that a little bit with West Virginia. I think it's fine if you want to like break it down into pods and each region is kind of two pods. So going back to the example of West Virginia, their pod is obviously Moorhead State. Then they get San Diego State, the winner of San Diego State and Syracuse. And the bottom half is in Clemson, Rutgers, Houston, Cleveland State. I think it's okay to look like one or two matchups ahead. I just have a really hard time now, 25, 30 games in the season, saying which region is the hardest, which region is the easiest, which team has the easiest path, because A, we haven't seen any upsets. This year, B, we don't know if any teams are going to drop out, if any teams are going to have to be replaced. And C, we have no idea how good these teams actually are because they haven't played a lot of these teams yet. Like, Virginia hasn't played Creighton this year. I don't even know if they have any common opponents this year. Like, Kansas has not played USC this year. We don't know how they're going to match up with them. It's a lot easier to say, like, how is Kansas going to play against Oklahoma State when they played them three weeks ago? Or when they haven't played them, but they played Oklahoma and Oklahoma played Oklahoma State, and we can apply some sort of transitive property there. I just don't want to sit here and say which is the hardest region, which is the easiest region, who has the best path, path, who has the worst path. Where are you with that? I mean, do you... Do you buy into all this team got I, Oklahoma State got screwed, absolutely got screwed. But do you buy into the this team got screwed based on this path and where they should have been given their seed, or do you not care that much about the path? You're more on the same page as I am that like Oklahoma State, yes, they did get screwed with a four, but in terms of the actual path, in terms of the actual region, top to bottom, it's kind of foolish to say which which region is the best and which region is the worst. Um, I mean, I think there are individual instances when I look at a bracket and say, man, that is a tough section you are going to have to come out of. But I I think, you know, for most teams in most tournaments, most of the time, like to win six games, you're going to have to play somebody good at some point, And it's probably going to be sooner rather than later. So I try not to do, I, I I'm not suggesting that all paths are created equal by any means, but I mean... I I don't think as much about that these days as I used to. I I used to just oh man like oh, you're gonna have to play. Oh, that's a tough second round match. I mean you're gonna have to play somebody good. Like that's if you want to win the national championship, if you want to go to the final four, you're probably not gonna back into it. So you're gonna have to go earn it the hard way. Let's kind of apply this like in the case of Oklahoma State again. I said I wasn't gonna talk that much about Oklahoma State anymore, wow. but I am. You need therapy tonight, man. I do. I'm worked up. The whole Jimmy John's fiasco just put me over the edge. (laughs) Why do you close a Jimmy John's in the middle of a pandemic? Source your tomatoes better! Instead of Oklahoma State as a four in the Midwest, they happen to be in the same region as Houston, who I thought they were kind of fighting for that final two seed. Obviously, they weren't fighting for the final two seed, but let's put Oklahoma State State where Houston was in in that Midwest region as a two seed, and then put Houston as the four, you know, bring Florida State over and whoever put them as a four. So Oklahoma State right now has Liberty and the winner of Tennessee and Oregon State. If they were the two in that region, they would have Cleveland State and the winner of Clemson and Rutgers. That is an easier path. We agree with that, right? The first round and the second round will be an easier path for Oklahoma State 
having to play the winner of Clemson Rutgers and then Cleveland State in the first round versus a Liberty in the first round and the winner of Tennessee Oregon State. Undoubtedly, that's an easier well, path. Yeah, but think about what you're saying. The path for a two is easier than the path for a four. Like, sure. Yeah, it is. I understand that. That that's that's kind of what I'm trying to get at here. Is there that big of a difference in the seed line? Because I think a lot of cases there is not that big of a difference. I mean, for example, like Purdue. Baylor's not playing well right now. So if you flip Purdue to a to Ohio State and they had to play the winner of Florida and Virginia Tech and then they got either Arkansas or Texas Tech in the Sweet 16 instead of Baylor. I don't know if that's that much of an easier path than just having to play Baylor, but I think in the case of Oklahoma State, it's a much easier path to come out of that region having to play a West Virginia or San Diego State as opposed to having to play Illinois. Like, that that's your reward? Mm, Oklahoma Brad, State Brad having to play Illinois in the Sweet 16? That's where it bothers me, talking about the path. Like, that is very clearly... A harder path. That's why the two to four bothers me a lot. I think it's okay to say that going a certain. I'm, I'm kind of just talking myself into web here. We cannot say like which region is the hardest, but what you said, it's we can easily look at like these pods and say it's going to be a lot tougher to come out of this region going against Illinois as opposed to in West Virginia or San Diego State or even going up to the South, going against a Baylor, going against an Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, again though. You're, you're talking about the difference of if they were the two in that region, they would have to play Illinois one round later. So that's, I mean, you, either way, if you want to do But it still matters, things, though. That still it matters, matters, I think. But, and I, like, we, we agree on all of the data here. Like, probably should have been seated higher. So, like, we're in agreement there. I just, I just feel like if you're Oklahoma State, I'm sure their goal is, hey, we want to we wanna win. We want to win the whole thing. That's their goal. We think we're that good. So... You're going to have to play Illinois at some point. If it's round three or round four, like you're going to play them. So instead of playing Illinois in the Sweet 16, let's say they were the two seed in the bottom half of that region. They'd be playing West Virginia in the Sweet 16. They get Illinois. Which they'd uh, probably be happy in, about because uh, they have in the found eight. success against West Virginia recently, as uh, a lot of Oklahoma State fans are uh, pointing out on Twitter right now. <sighs> Anything else you want to talk about? I think filling out your bracket – uh, this, this early this week, if you're the sort that fills out like a bunch, or if you're, hey, I'm gonna do my one and 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 I'm gonna let it sit, and that's that's my bracket. I would go really really light on the big big upsets in the first round. Like I would not be picking a lot of 15s over twos this year. Uh, and, and it it's a very simple reason that you and I actually talked about last week on the podcast. The bottom of the tournament this year is really bad. Like the, we're not getting a 15 over two. We're not getting a 14 over three. This it, it would be not really happening. surprising because not the, happening. The, those bottom 10 or 12 teams this year are way worse than they normally are. We can sometimes have, I mean, we have had like some quality 15 seeds in the last 10 years. Well, I mean, like Penn was a 16 seed one year. Yeah. We don't have that team this year. There's no, there's no like six shooting Ivy League team this year. No, like Drexel is. It, it would be like if Colgate was a six. Drexel's team. not even a play-in game. Like, and right. and that's not a good team. Like, I'm in CAA country. I watch a lot of CAA games. They're like not Hartford that good. Hartford is not good. This Texas Southern team is not very good. App State is not App that State's good. Not good. We, we just yeah. don't have that team. Like I said, it'd be like if you're taking 
14 right. Colgate, who has Arkansas, and a game that, yeah, everybody's going to kind of latch on to the, oh, they both have great offenses. And you're right with that. You texted me that, I think, the first team to 120 wins this game. <laughs> It'd be like, in a normal year, Colgate feels like a 15 or a 16, right. but now they're a 14. This It's it's just not happening. Yeah, you, I, I'm, I'm extremely confident a 15 over a 2 is not happening this year. I'd be shocked if a 14 over a 3. We can talk 13-4 because I think like UNC Greensboro is really talented. Ohio, Ohio had a Virginia. nice run. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we could talk maybe North Texas, Purdue, but I'm just not seeing those low upsets like you mentioned. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's it's teams that would normally be a 15 or a 16 are playing this year as a 13 or a 14. So you have to keep that in mind. You're not picking a 14 over a 3. You're picking like a 16 over a 3. And that's probably not a measure for success. Now, when you get to the, some of those closer matchups where the, the seeds are a little closer... Sure, pick your upsets like you normally would, but I would stay away from the deep, deep ones and keep it pretty chalky on the the big numbers versus the little numbers. A 100% betting episode coming on Thursday. We did more betting today than I anticipated. I wasn't expecting these lines to be available that quickly on betmgm.com, but it looks like I think 24 lines now. Uh, So by the time this thing comes out in a half hour from now, we should be up to almost 30 lines, and hopefully we'll get all 30 four here by the end of Sunday night, but 100% betting episode coming on Thursday, right away on Thursday morning. That episode will drop at 6 a.m. Eastern, a 100% betting episode on high motor by BetMGM. We'll have all those lines, obviously, by then. We'll see if maybe the national championship odds shift at all, see if there's any value there. Thursday, 6 a.m. Central, hit subscribe, excuse me, 6 a.m. Eastern, hit subscribe on your podcast player for an automatic download. We'll be here throughout March Madness, couple episodes per week, previewing games, celebrating Winthrop's run to the Sweet 16. Thank you for listening. I saw a friend today, it had been a while, and we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter, because deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between